You are Locked On Packers, your daily podcast on the Green Bay Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And you are Locked On Packers. Hello, this is Bill Huber, the publisher of PackerReport.com, part of the Scout.com Network, which brings you some of the best NFL and college football coverage that you will find anywhere. And I mean that too. You a Badgers fan? Go to BadgerNation.com. In fact, we have all the big schools covered. Got most of the mid-majors covered as well too at Scout. So a lot of great stuff whether you're looking for for our game coverage or recruiting and analysis. We have have the absolute unquestioned best team out there. And for the NFL, my colleague Tim Yatter does an amazing job covering the Vikings. So if you need to get up to speed on the purple, I'll do my best. But he's got all the day-to-day insights into Vikings. Uh, Be sure to go to PackerReport.com where my world's best preview. I always hope it's up on Friday. It never is. It's usually Saturday mornings. It's so darn long. And I always think, well, I'm going to cut back a little bit. But then it just becomes this long novel. So... Anyway, among the 20 individual pieces in that preview, it's going to lead off with stopping Adrian Peterson, as well as the Packers' history of dome success at about 5,000 words or more. It really should get through. through it should get you through all the commercial breaks for Saturday's games, or maybe better yet, if your wife has some sort of job that you really don't want to do, like you know cleaning up the garage or organizing your sock drawer. Say, honey, when I'm done with Bill's preview, it'll only take me another five hours. So <laughs> we'll be. You'll be set there. And you know what? Also, of course, the Locked On Podcast Network. And if you haven't listened to our Behind Enemy Lines podcast with uh, Locked On Vikings, Sam Ekstrom, some really good insight there. So anyways, this is our last show before Sunday night's huge game at Minneapolis as far as week two games go. This is about as big as I get, right? I mean, the Packers lost at home to Minnesota in week 17 last year, lost the division. If they can win this game, they take a gigantic step toward recapturing NFC North breaking rights, I would think. So... We'll get into some of the matchups in a minute, but first, it's first down, and it's another look at the resigning of left tackle David Bakhtiari. Now, we'll get into some of the matchups here in a moment, but I, th- I think this is worth going back to here for a second. First, he's got a real key matchup here for Sunday night. He's going up against the Vikings' Everson Griffin. Griffin is a, a big, athletic, powerful guy, and since Mike Zimmer took over as the Vikings coach in 2014, he's one of just a handful of players in the league with back-to-back seasons of 10-plus sacks, and Remember, we go back to that Week 17 game against the Packers last year. Bakhtiari was out. Josh Sitton played left tackle, and Griffin had the big sack strip that was recovered and returned for a touchdown by uh, Captain Munnerlin. So he's a he's a premier player. But you know what? Bakhtiari is a premier player too. By my count, he's going to 11 consecutive games without a sack. And I went to Pro Football Focus to get a little extra insight there, and thanks to them for sending me some numbers. But you know, during that span. He ranks number seven among all offensive tackles, not just left tackles, but all offensive tackles in their pass-blocking efficiency metric, and that measures sacks, hits, and pressures allowed um, divided by um, pass, uh, pass-blocking pass snaps. So he's turned to a heck of a good player, and I, and I talked to the, one of their analysts, and one of their analysts, Mike Renner, about where does he fit a left tackle in the league and... You know, looking back at that 2013 draft class, as well as just, you know, is this a, a good deal for the Packers at a, at a whopping $12 million? So, with that, here's a little bit of my interview with Mike Renner. I guess, first of all, um, what do you think of the Bakhtiari deal in terms of, you know, he's the tie for the fourth highest paid left tackle in the league now. So, what do you think of that deal in, in context of, of left tackles around the NFL? I think it's a great deal. I think it's a great deal for the Packers. Um, 
think it's reasonable for the Packers. I think they it got bumped up a little by Cordy Glenn's deal after that got done. I think he got $60 million, uh, over five years. That obviously bumped up David Bakhtiari's. Cordy Glenn's not not really a top-five tackle. He's about in the range I put David Bakhtiari in terms of left tackles, and he got ridiculous money. So so you knew Bakhtiari's deal was going to be in that range. And that's just the going rate for the blind side these days. People are so worried about keeping the quarterbacks healthy, so worried about, you know, sacks and pressure, stuff like that. So I'm not really surprised to see where uh, his contract ended up. Um, based on your data, where, where have you seen him make the most strides in his career? And then, you know, consequently, or by contrast, where, where do you think he's got to step up his game to, to earn that kind of contract in, in respect? Yeah, I think his pass protection has improved greatly uh, over the course of his career. Uh, I think he's now one of the better pass-protecting left tackles. I put him in the top ten in terms of uh, pass-protecting tackles uh, in the entire NFL. He still has some issues with play strength, but as he's come a long way from his rookie year. His rookie year, he was getting bull rushed by pretty much everybody and anyone. Uh, that's not the case anymore. That's A lot of teams uh, make their ends bull rush to the Packers' tackles because of what Aaron Rodgers can do outside the pocket. And Bakhtiari holds up really well. His pressure numbers are still very good. Last year, only three sacks. And I think that uh, that speaks to how well he sustains blocks in the passing game. What What's so important is to not be shed left or right when a guy does bull rush. You know, If, if you're going to give up some pressure, if you're going to get into the quarterback's lap, you don't want to let the guy then separate from the block and make the tackle. And he does that as well as anyone in the NFL right now in terms of sustaining that block on the edge. And where he does need to improve, though, is, like like I said before, his play strength still not that level of an elite tackle. I don't think it ever will be. He's just not that type of, uh, he's just not that type of guy. He's not that type of physicality uh, and not that, that type of body type. He's just not a big dude. He's only around 300-ish pounds. So he's never going to be that imposing run blocker. And in their scheme, they don't really need that. They just need him to sustain more blocks. He whiffed on a lot of, uh, on a lot of blocks frontside earlier in his career. He would get uh, really excited, get out of a stance really quick. I think that was to try to cover up some of his play strength issues he'd really fire out of his stance and then whiff a lot that's uh that's he's c- cut down on that a lot in recent years and so uh, if he can just stay uh improve his fundamentals and run blocking just be kind of a block sustainer instead of a people mover he'll uh th- that that's where i can see the biggest improvement for his career going forward is in the run game okay you know i i did some research the other day and 20 of the 32 starting left tackles are first rounders and you look at that 2013 draft eric fisher number one Luke Jokel, number two, Lane Johnson, number four, DJ Fluker was, what, uh, 11th, and then Justin Pugh was 19th. I mean, compared to those guys, I mean, Green Bay really got a steal, didn't they? They did. Uh, Fisher's really come around in recent years, but a lot of those other guys really never cut it at the left tackle position and, and still to this day are struggling. So I think finding him in the fourth round, the Packers have had ridiculous uh, – ridiculous, I don't want to say luck, but ridiculous accuracy in their offensive line scouting in recent years. They've hit on a lot of guys in mid-rounds that, you know, it's just offensive line is not a position where it's easy to find tackles in late rounds. Like you said, a lot of them are first-rounders, so to find Bakhtiari where they did was a fantastic job by Ted Thompson and company. Tell me what's going on over at Pro Football Focus. I think I think a lot of people know the great work that you guys do, but anything new and improved for this year? We have a lot of new fantasy tools in terms of uh, DFS. I know that's the, the, all the rage nowadays, the daily fantasy, the FanDuel, what, all that and whatnot. And we have a lot of stuff we do with matchups uh, in that in our fantasy tools. If Even if you just want to win your fantasy league, we have stuff for you where cornerbacks versus wide receivers, we tell you who's going to match up with whom. Uh, offensive line grades and uh, defensive line grades to see, you know, 
is my offensive line of the running back on my roster? Is it actually good? Is he going to be productive this year? So we have a lot of fancy tools in that respect. And then we have our player grades, which obviously we've been known for is how we kind of made a name for ourselves. Uh, just evaluating every player on every play. That's that's basically my job here at PFF. I am one of the main analysis. I probably do as much analysis as anyone here in terms of watching the game. So just ev- uh, player evaluation grades, you can find those at our website as well. Okay. So based on that last question here, what what do you think is the key matchup or two for Green Bay, Minnesota on Sunday night? Obviously a very, very big game. I think uh, right there, David Bakhtiar against Everson Griffin. Uh, Everson Griffin, Griffin's given him fits in the past. Like I mentioned, his play strength. Griffin's one of the best bull rushers right. in the NFL, and he, he got to him a few times uh, in his career, and Bakhtiar's won a few of those matchups. So I think that's one matchup that I'll be watching. And then uh, I think Xavier Rhodes against uh, Jordy Nelson is also one. I, I, I'm not sure that uh, Xavier Rhodes is an elite-level corner yet, but he's he's been very good and has the size and whatnot to match up. So I want to see if Jordy Nelson you know, continues his upward uh, trend coming back here. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Everybody should go to Pro Football Focus. they got tons of good stuff. Yep, thanks for having me. Thanks, Mike. Take care. This segment of Locked On Packers is brought to you by PackerReport.com and Scout.com. Scout's fantasy site is host of the World Fantasy Championships, and our fantasy insiders have helped a lot of people make a lot of money. And if your company is interested in talking to men between the ages of 18 to 44, you really should be sponsoring this podcast. Lockdown Packers is listened to by 98% men and 80% between the ages of 18 to 44. So if you want men 18 to 44, this is your spot. Plus, our rates are reasonable. Email me at packwriter2002 at yahoo.com to find out more. On the second down, and it's time to look at the Packers defense against the Vikings offense. And this is what we're going to do here every... Every week, I'm going to dedicate one day to the Packers offense against the opponent and then another day to the Packers defense against the opponent. And shockingly, I'm leaning off with Adrian Peterson in this. And you know what? The Titans shut him down last week. 19 carries, 31 yards. Tennessee, um, I don't want to say they gamble, but they figured that, you know, let's let's shut down Peterson because we don't think that Sean Hill can beat us. And ultimately, they were right. I mean, the, the Titans lost the game, but it had nothing to do with the quarterback. You know, 19 carries, 31 yards. And, you know, I asked, you know, what, what did the Titans do so well on, on defense? And I asked that question to inside linebackers coach Scott McCurley. And he said they did a great job up front. They did everything I talked about. They gathered, controlled, rallied to the ball. They did a great job individually doing their job and beating blocks. It's a group effort, and their front stepped up in their first down game. The thing with Adrian is, to me, you never know when big runs can happen. With him, I think he plays so hard that first snap that it's got to be an all-day thing with him. You've got to step up every play, and every time he touches the ball, do your job and finish to the ball. You know, Peterson's history against the Packers is, is really amazing. In 16 career games, which is obviously a, a full season, 1,760 yards, a 5.3-yard average per carry, and 13 touchdowns. Now, that's those are dominating numbers, right? I mean... Ends up being works out to being the the most yards that he's rushed for against any opponent. Obviously, he's played Green Bay more than every team besides the NFC North team, so that's a little skewed there. But still, I mean, you're talking more than you know 110 yards a game and a 5.3 average and almost a touchdown. It's that's huge numbers. But it's not as if Peterson kills him every time. It's and this is the interesting part to me. Let's go through some recent games here. Last year, two games, 45 yards and 67 yards. 2014, 60 and 146. 2012, killed them both games. 210, 
199. 2011, 175 and in 51. So you get the point there. In 16 games, he's topped 100 yards eight times. But also there's six games with less than 70 yards. So Green Bay's had some success against him. And I asked Dom Capers what, what it is about that. I mean, what's what's given him what's given his unit success some weeks, but not others? And he's kind of laughed at first at my question. And he said, and then basically just broke down Peterson's game. He'll take the ball anywhere. It might be designed to the right side, but with his speed and his ability to jump cut and his size, we've seen the best of him at times. You have to play with great leverage against him. You have to set the edge outside because he'll take the ball anywhere. Hopefully, we can take the running seams away because he's a big guy and explosive guy. And when he can get running north and south, south, even after the first hit, he'll be falling forward for extra yards. So you have to try to have great pursuit, leverage, and everybody's got to finish. And you've got to do a great job tackling. He's strong. He breaks a lot of tackles. And he's very explosive. That's a obviously a pretty good scouting report on Peterson, which we've all seen a million times. The key words here, though, he said, set or set the edge. And that's what Green Bay did so well last week. And I, this is where I think, well, this might not work every week. You know, Clay Matthews is a great player. But when they can stick Nick Perry and Dayton Jones at outside linebacker, that's a lot of physicality. And those guys can set the edge because they're so physical that they're going to overwhelm a tight end or they can at least hold their own physically against a 320-pound offensive tackle. And if you can keep Peterson from getting outside and getting to the corner and then really getting one-on-one with your cornerbacks, I think that's a big thing. So if you can set the edge and funnel him back inside to where all the pursuit's going to be, I think it gives you a fighting chance. So I, I liked That's why I like what Green Bay has done with, by moving Dayton Jones to outside linebacker. Now, if he was a really good DN like they drafted him to be, they wouldn't have done this, I don't think. But I think they're getting some mileage out of this. And I'm not saying Matthews is going to play a lot because he's going to, but when you can run Matthews, I mean, when you can run Perry and Dayton out there, I think it gives you a lot of size and ability to uh, to be physical on the edge. And then third, we the play of the inside linebackers. And now these are this is an inexperienced group. Jake Ryan saw Peterson in Week 17, but that was at Lambeau. And Green Bay did well against him, but that was at Lambeau, not, not the fast track in the Dome. And Blake Martinez, of course, is a rookie. So there's not, there's not a whole lot of experience going up against Peterson. They'll obviously be stressed, you know, just from his pure talent and physicality in the environment that they're going to play in on Sunday after or Sunday night. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. On the third down, that's the Vikings quarterbacks, probably Sam Bradford. I know Vikings coach Mike Zimmer is trying to keep that under the vest, but you know it seems like it's going to be Bradford going to be the starting quarterback, and probably common sense here, right? You know, Sean Hill didn't get it done last week. You know, he didn't make the Titans pay for their defensive approach. And look, the Vikings didn't give up a first-round pick and a fourth-round pick for Sam Bradford to hold a clipboard. So it's it's time to get him in. He gives with that arm strength. He gives you that downfield passing attack to. To perhaps burn a defense, you know. The, obviously, the, the on the other end of the equation here, though, one he's never been really good as the first overall pick in 2010. He's he's been a, a borderline bust. And number two, 
when this game kicks off on Sunday, he'll be with the Vikings for two weeks. So how much of that offense can he run? How much chemistry does he have built with those receivers? So that's the, the other side of the coin. But you know what? Go make some chemistry. And if you're not good enough to win this game, at least, you're, at least you've gone down that road. So I, I, I would assume Bradford's going to be that guy. Ultimately, if you're Green Bay, I don't know how much it matters. You know, neither guy or neither guy is mobile. <laughs> we would have Brad Childress, the former Vikings conference, the former Vikings coach on the conference call, and he had this great saying, and he would trot it out almost every time we we talked to him, and he would say, you know, for for quarterbacks who were mobile, he would say he's not an iron deer on the lawn, or you know, obviously if the guy wasn't mobile, then he would say that he he is an iron deer on the lawn. So I I was like the iron deer on a lawn reference. I use that as much as I can. So. And really, Bradford and Hill, they, they are, they are iron deer on the lawn. They, they aren't going to make anybody miss. They're not scramblers. You know, Bradford's knee injuries have taken that away, and Hill's like 1,000 years old, so he's not going to run. They do get the ball out quick, so I'm not, I'm not saying they're sitting ducks back there, and they're going to get sacked 10 times, but not a whole lot of mobility. So I don't think, if you're Green Bay's front seven, I don't think it matters too much. Obviously, the secondary, this does matter, because, you know, like I said a minute ago, he's got a better Hill than Arm, and he's going to throw it deep, and he's got some more velocity on it too. And hey, you know, because of Adrian Peterson, and you're going to have safety Morgan Burnett down the box, or Ha Clinton Dix in the box, or maybe even both at times. So with that, there's going to be a lot of one-on-one coverage. And look, their, their tight end is really good too, Kyle Rudolph. So I mean, you're going to have to cover him. There's going to be a lot of one-on-one coverage, and it's and the Packers are going to have to be up to the up to the task against those guys. So who are those guys? Well. The Vikings drafted Laquan Treadwell, the old Miss All-American in the first round, number 23 overall, and he was supposed to be that big guy. You know what? He didn't play a single snap last week on a passing offense that stunk. He couldn't get off the bench. They went with uh, Charles Johnson, the former Packers draft pick, who's a big, fast guy. He's made some plays, had a touchdown against Green Bay. So last year or the year before, it you know, had a touchdown up in Minneapolis. So he's a talented guy, you know, hasn't... More, more of a complimentary piece than he probably should be. Um, their number one guy, though, is Stephon Diggs, a fifth-round pick last year. And Diggs didn't play the first three games. You know, like Treble for the Vikings last week, didn't play. But he the last 13 games alone, I mean, he ends up leading the team in receiving the, the first rookie in team history to do that. Now, you might remember that once upon a time, Randy Moss was a Vikings rookie, so that Diggs was more productive in a sense than Randy Moss's rookie. That's saying something. He's a slippery guy. Um, among NFL rookies last year, he was second in 20-yard catches behind Amari Cooper. Um, so in a, last week, off to a great start, seven catches, 103 yards. Maybe the more important note there, he leads the NFL, at least heading into week two. He led the NFL with six first-down catches. So he is definitely a guy that the Vikings look at and move the ball or move the chain situations. And, you know, with so much emphasis on Peterson, second-year corners Demarius Randall and Quentin Rollins are going to be, are going to have to be wary of play-action fakes. You know, and that's where Bradford really comes into play, where you know he goes play-action and one false step by those corners, and you could be six points. I mean, you don't need a lot of chemistry on on a long ball, right? Just throw it up there and let, and let your guy go get it. And you also got to be wary of double moves. See, I, I pointed that out to Joe. Actually, funny. I meant to tell Joe Witt, the Packers cornerbacks coach yesterday, about play action, and it, it came out wrong. I said double moves, and I corrected myself. But then uh, it was a good thing that I said that, actually, because 
you know, go back to that game against Jacksonville last week. They gave up, what, two or three catches on double moves to, you know, the tight end, and there's a long game by Alan Hearns. They didn't play those well, a little over-aggressive there. And Joe pointed that out. He says, you put bad things on film, well, you're going to see them, and people are going to challenge you in those ways. So Green Bay's corners face a big task, and they're not going to get a whole lot of help in getting that done. And finally, fourth down, and it's more comedy hour. This went over really well, at least among you guys. I got, I got, <laughs> I got some uh, uh, interesting emails from the Vikings fans who, who listened to the Wednesday show. But I solicited some jokes from you guys, and you guys came through. I didn't get to them all. Then I put another uh, solicitation on Twitter this morning. So I got, I got a bunch of jokes here. We're going to go through them here. From Mark. Mark sent a whole bunch. Mark, Mark, you really should be sleeping or working at this hour on, on Friday morning. So I got a, a few here from Mark. What's the difference between Minnesota Vikings fans and mosquitoes? Mosquitoes are only annoying in the summer. <laughs> All right, another one from Mark. What does a wrecked car and the Minnesota Vikings have in common? Neither has a title. How many Vikings fans does it take to change a light bulb? None. They're happy living in Green Bay shadow. Um, I think I had this one on Wednesday. It's a great one, though. What do the Minnesota Vikings and possums have in common? Both play dead at home and get killed on the road. And the last one here from Mark. I took my broken vacuum cleaner back to the store. They put a Vikings jersey, they put a Vikings jersey on it, and now it sucks again. And I got a long one here. From, I got to scroll up to get to this one. From Packer Fanatic 89 This is a long one. This is, good. this is really good, too. I read this one earlier. One day, little Johnny went to school, and this day is career day. One girl said, my daddy is a doctor. He helps people. One boy said, my daddy is a policeman. So get around the Johnny. Johnny said, my daddy works at a strip club. He takes his clothes off for money while others watch. So the teacher said, okay. He went to the next person. So after all the telling, it was recess time. The teacher went to ask Johnny about his father. Johnny, does your dad really work at a strip bar? The teacher asked. Little Johnny replied, no. I was embarrassed to tell you the truth that he played for the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Um, a couple of simple ones here. This one's from Jeremy. I thought the Vikings themselves were the joke. And I think I read this one on Wednesday. Again, simplicity here. The Vikings are the division champs from last year. Yeah, that is a joke, isn't it? But they did win. A couple more here for you. What is the smallest room in the Vikings' new stadium? The Super Bowl trophy room. Why do the Vikings wear purple? If you've choked for that long, you'd be purple too. <laughs> I read this one. This is a good one. What do you call a Viking with a Super Bowl ring? A Packer. <laughs> How true is that with Ryan Longwell and Brett Favre and uh, Greg Jennings going there? And uh, this is uh, another good last one here from Tony. The easy one. The best women to date are Vikings fans. They never expect a ring. All right, that is enough for Comedy Hour, and that's also enough for today's show. Thanks, as always, for listening. I appreciate it. I really do appreciate it. Have a great Saturday and Sunday, everybody. Enjoy the games, and I will talk to you on Monday with Keith Rornick in our post-game Packers-Vikings podcast. Thanks, everyone, and I will talk to you on Monday.
Is Democracy in Danger or Decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org catalyst.